This is episode 120 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 120 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Aaron Bay and Ariana Yu on the show, and they are here to talk about Airbnb arbitrage. Both Aaron and Ariana are very aggressive real estate investors and arbitragers. Uh, and what that means is they're going in and they're renting properties from landowners, landlords, and they are re-renting them on Airbnb, um, anywhere from buy the room to buy the entire house or buy the unit if they're doing multiplexes and they are making incredible profits one of the houses we discussed they were making over three thousand dollars a month prior to the initial lockdown and even during the lockdown they were able to still generate positive cash flow and now they're scaling up they're at approximately 30 properties being done this way plus their real estate holdings and they're looking at new options this is completely taken over and replaced their incomes they went from university dropouts to working at coffee shops and serving to being highly successful real estate investors. And it's a really inspiring story. I had tons of questions for them and I'm going to have tons of questions for them as I experiment with Airbnb myself down the road. Before we get into it, if you could kindly make sure that you hit the like, subscribe and notification bell if you have not already done so and leave me a comment, let me know what you think. If you are an audio listener, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take a moment and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find it. If you're new to this podcast and some of the terminology is not quite resonating with you just yet, head right back to episode one and take in the first 10 episodes. I'm confident that you'll have a much better footing after that. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 120 with Ariana, you and Aaron Bay. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Aaron Bay and Ariana, you on the show. And I think I said that all correctly. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks to you both. And I was just wondering if you could just start things off by telling us all a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you sure. for having us. It's exciting to be on your podcast. Real estate investors. Um, I'm turning 29 this year. I'm turning 28 this year. And we started actually doing Airbnb arbitrage two years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually started real estate investing, buying properties uh, in 2020. And that was when we bought our first property. Mm-hmm. So you just started buying? We just started buying, yeah. Okay. I see some big numbers on your on your uh, Instagram wall. <laughs> it looks like you've got a lot of properties. Do you own all those? or? It's a mixture of owned and arbitrage uh, units. So it's not all personally owned. Okay. There's a few people out there doing this arbitrage thing. Where did you learn that from? Um, well, originally our initial goal was to do uh, something called rent hacking, trying to get our living costs down. Mm-hmm. And out of necessity, because we wanted to reduce our living expenses, we started looking for opportunities to uh, share a home with other people. And uh, interestingly enough, we decided to rent an entire house in the North York area mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Uh, the rent was 5800 a month. It was a giant, like 4,000, 5,000 square foot home. Um, it's over 5,000 square feet, actually. Is it actually? Yes, yes. Okay, well, it's, it's, it's a big house. It's really big, yeah. Yeah. And um, we saw potential to have 10 rooms in there. So we started doing uh, room rentals. And if anybody knows at the time in Toronto, uh, room rentals in North York went for like 1,000 bucks to like 1,500 bucks per month. Mm-hmm. So we saw a real opportunity to capitalize on that spread is that where you're living now or no you you don't live there anymore (laughs) no we don't unfortunately um well we we were living somewhere else at the time when we were looking to do rent hacking 
And then when we fell upon this property, it was a seven bedroom house that we ended up adding three more bedrooms, making it into a 10 10 bedroom house. And um, once we set everything up and we got all the tenants inside, we decided like maybe living with that many people was a bit too much for us. And at the time it was already fully occupied. Um, so we decided to go a different route for our own. We are still rent hacking. Um, so we're still doing the same thing that we had. Um, we had initially planned. We're just doing it on a smaller scale with, with less own. bedrooms. Yeah. With less bedrooms. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the follow-up questions I was going to have is, well, first off, what do you mean you added bedrooms to a rental property? You're renting this property out and adding bedrooms. Yeah. yeah. So basically we spoke with the landlord and said, Hey, listen, like, would you mind if we turn the library uh, and the family room into extra bedrooms? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, sure. Why not? As long as you're paying the rent and as long as you're mm-hmm. taking care of the property, he was okay with it. So mm-hmm. uh, in collaboration with the landlord, we went ahead and created two more bedrooms out of the main floor. And okay. then we added another room in the basement because um, that was currently used as a storage space. Um, but we saw that, you know, it had a door. So technically it could be a bedroom. But we okay. did everything in a way where it was, um, you know, if, the landlord later wanted to sell the house or something and we had to take down those walls, it would be something that we'd be able to do without causing any damage to his actual home. Um, and we talked talk to the contractors and everything about that as well. So it was it was an easy project, um, no damage or anything that's going to be left to the house. So he was agreeable to it. Literally just drywall in a door. Yeah, so you, but you put up some drywall in a door. In a door. Yeah. yeah. So what did you have into to creating these three extra bedrooms? I'm sorry? Uh, how much money did you have into creating these three extra bedrooms? Um, that costs us around four thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind okay. of high when you in, in hindsight, but then we didn't really know too much. So, right, okay. And then what did you have into like furnishings and all that stuff, or was that already in there? No, we actually had. It was a completely vacant house, um, and it's been vacant for some time. And uh, when we furnished it initially, we did it as a complete room rental thing. So we were thinking that all the rooms are going to be rented out to students. Um, so we did have, you know, some of the, some of the bedrooms, some of the larger bedrooms had two beds in them, two desks, that sort of thing for double occupancy. And then, um, so that cost us around, and we went really cheap with all the furniture. Okay. Um, so I think that cost us around $6,000 to furnish the entire house. Keep wow, in mind, that I, yeah, it is very cheap. Um, but I did have furniture that my family had left over, um, you know, like couches and dining tables and those big, big kind of pieces we had already kind of transferred from the family home that was left over into this property. So the only thing that we actually had to buy was the things for the initial for the bedroom. So beds, okay. mattresses, desks, providing sort of pots and pans and cutlery and stuff like that. Right. As well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were all in for about $10,000 between the reno and, and the furnishings and and miscellaneous or was it a bit more than that at the time but then we decided to pivot because uh, we had two big bedrooms that were just not renting out to students mm-hmm. um so basically we were trying to average about thousand dollars per room um those two big bedrooms were like master bedrooms with massive walk-in closets and like a giant washroom like jacuzzi tubs like super luxury so we were hoping to get like at least like 1300 bucks for those rooms um, mm-hmm. But they were just not renting because we had, I guess, there just wasn't the demand for it. I mean, like students like are not looking profile, for right? like you're not looking to yeah. pay like thirteen hundred bucks for a room, mm-hmm. and that's um, what you wanted for it. You wanted to get thirteen hundred yeah. for that room. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's what we wanted for it. Um, so we ended up pivoting onto Airbnb. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we put those two rooms on Airbnb, hoping to get at least 3,500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up doing way better than we had anticipated. So it started doing like 2,500 bucks per room in uh, per month. Yeah, yeah per it's month. crazy. And per then that's kind month. of like why we decided that, oh, wow, we see a lot of potential in Airbnb. And this is pretty crazy. Like the numbers we're getting are completely insane. So um, that's kind of like how we entered into Airbnb. Um, but we, so we just returned all the um, furniture for those two bedrooms. And then we spruced them all up into like Airbnb standard. And that cost us about $1,000 per room okay. to make it like really nice. And then, but it was totally, totally worth it. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were another $2,000 of investment to make those rooms really nice. Okay. So you're all in for about 12,000. And then did you kick all the students out and just go straight to Airbnb for everything? Or do you still have students in the other rooms and you just have the two on Airbnb? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we still have our tenant profile, basically is students and young professionals. So it's not all students. Mm -hmm. Um, We ended up gearing more towards young professionals because it was just, um, they could afford it better. Yeah, they could afford it better. And, um, you know, they're more clean and everything like that. So right now we have um, young professionals and students that live there and we also do Airbnb at the same time. You have 10 people living in one house together, sharing a kitchen. Yes. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> um, in the beginning, like it was, it wasn't too bad. It's just right now with coronavirus, we are running into some issues with people having, you know, understandable health concerns right so um we've been getting a lot of people who wanted to book those rooms um for the purpose of quarantine and you know us trying to be responsible responsible landlords per se um we had to turn a lot of that away so we have had some vacancies but it hasn't been to the point where we're bleeding cash flow every single month so um, we're still staying afloat but um we're not as profitable as we were before Mm -hmm. yeah so let's let's get into some of these numbers and i'll Pick your brain on this more. Uh, so you're you're twelve thousand in. What's your rent payment there? What are you paying for the place? Five thousand eight hundred per mm-hmm. month. And does that include utilities? No. Okay. And then so we allocate another like twelve hundred for utilities and uh, biweekly cleanings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so the twelve hundred covers the biweekly cleanings and the utilities. Yeah. 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 And it, okay. So okay. all of our expenses really. Other expenses. All right. Yeah. No. No other expenses outside of that, really. No. Okay. Not really. Vacancy, I mean, really. Yeah. And if we do ever have anything, like let's say, for example, we had one guest who um, splattered spaghetti sauce all over the uh, all over the uh, kitchen ceiling, and that's again mm-hmm. something because with Airbnb, you're able to have them reimburse it. And then for our room rentals, we actually write in the lease that if they were to cause any damage or anything that would have us go out of pocket, then they would have to reimburse us for that. So. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. And what are you, what have you been averaging? Well, first off, when did you start doing this, this house? This was um, in the beginning of 2019, I believe. January, 2019 yeah. was okay. when, yeah, was when we acquired it. And were you averaging like $12,000 a month on the, on the place in revenue? Yes. Uh, not at first. Um, we had anticipated about 3000 net cash flow per month. Um, but with Airbnb being so successful, as it was, uh, we were making like at least over five thousand dollars per month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, if you were getting twelve, I'm I'm, I'm calculating seven thousand dollars in expenses. So if you're getting twelve, that would make for for five thousand. So you got to that. Mm-hmm. So you were at five thousand dollars cash flows, which on your twelve thousand dollars investment means you're paying off in a little more than two months. 
so that's that's, that's pretty uh, six hundred percent return or something like that. Um, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that so that's looking pretty good. Obviously, the situation in Canada has changed since uh, March twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. What do you look like since then? Um, it really varies depending on vacancy and the occupancy rates for Airbnb. Um, but for the ones in Toronto, we've been averaging around twenty five hundred to three thousand a month in cash flow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I so mean, this one you've been averaging twenty five hundred. So right. it's it's just dropped a bit because of your vacancies. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're more like ninety five hundred on average a month in revenue around there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's still good. I mean, it's still a property you don't own (laughs) and that you're making money on. Now, how does the insurance situation work there? So we do have insurance on that. Um, Now the landlord didn't require anything special. So like we kind of lucked out there, but there are other insurance companies that will do uh, Airbnb insurance like square one. Um, And I know there are a few others, but yeah, it really depends on what the landlord's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, in this case, I'm more just talking for your comfort. Like I guess Airbnb obviously covers you on those rooms, but what about the other ones? You know, do you have other, other uh, types of insurance that, that you use typically to feel comfortable as a landlord or as a, as a rent hacker or Airbnb, Airbnb arbitrager? I don't think we have anything in particular, at least for at least for the rent hacking portion that we do in Toronto. Um, we just have the basic tenant insurance. Um, for and for our tenant insurance, we do go a little higher than we normally would, just because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of personal belongings. Um, but oh, so you that, take out a tenant insurance package, you as the renter. Mm-hmm. Okay, and do you disclose to your insurance company that you are re-renting the rooms? Uh, not quite. <laughs> so we we. We understood that this wasn't really like a repeatable process uh, and that it wasn't something that we could replicate over time. So um, we, that was like the only one that we did and we just stopped doing like the room rental stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we kind of go a little bit cleaner and we try to do more like actual units itself. Mm-hmm. So just renting out full units on Airbnb. I mean, that was just something that we did to get our feet wet. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have too much capital to start in the beginning and we were still working full time at the time. So um, it was, it was an opportunity that we saw and that we wanted to take and um, we're glad we took it. I mean, it was, was, it's still a great experience to be running something like this, but it taught us a lot and was able to lead us into the direction we are, we are now. Oh yeah. I love, I love what you guys have done. I mean, sometimes you just got to take action and you're, you're making money, creating an arbitrage situation, which is brilliant, you know, rather than hard work, it's smart work. I think that that's, you know, more people need to learn from that. So uh, it, it's really awesome what you're doing. Uh, how many more of this type of thing have you done? I understand not with rooms, but you've done it with with units. How many more have you done since then? Um, we've done a few duplexes, triplexes. Uh, we've done a few units in an eightplex um, that an investor friend of ours uh, wanted to offload. Um, we've done a number of arbitrage deals since this one um i mean we we were doing this arbitrage we were doing the initial one first so the one that we were just talking about and Mm -hmm. then we started buying property shortly after that um and then after we decided okay well we can't keep buying properties because it's just it's harder to scale quickly with um with a model like that so then that's when we decided okay let's let's go back and grow our arbitrage business and then it kind of just skyrocketed from there we actually had Initially, I, we I ended think up. We're approaching about 
30 units of Airbnb arbitrage. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not all live yet, but we have it kind of lined up. So we will have them up and ready by, I think, June or July. Right. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, So 30 of Airbnb arbitrage. What do you have in your personal holdings, like stuff that you've bought? Um, I have a few duplexes, a couple of triplexes. My biggest acquisition was a 22-unit building um, that I bought with some partners as well. And we're just closing on an eight-unit motel this Friday. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And are you trying to do everything Airbnb angle? Like, are you, or do you do some long-term leases as well? We have a lot of long-term tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, we are transitioning. Well, most of the long-term tenants are inherited. So like, you know, we really had no kind of option there. Like but, in the 22-unit building, for example. Mm-hmm. But we are trying to like pivot more towards Airbnb just because we understand that in Ontario, especially uh, the landlord-tenant laws are not in the landlord's favor. Especially right? so, now. Especially. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> can't evict them either. Yeah. No, exactly. you can't. Good luck. How, how is that for logic? It's a, it's a good way to make sure no landlords introduce new new rental units to the market. You can't kick them out. They, they don't have to pay. <laughs> and rent control. Yeah. What, what was that? Sorry? And rent control. And rent control. Yeah. Uh, unless you've built it after 2018, right? I think November, 2018, whatever the date was. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's tricky in Ontario right now. And I, I don't blame you for, for wanting to go that route. Now, with that being said, obviously things are different knowing the continual perpetual lockdown situation and, uh, the no obvious signs of this ever turning around. What are your thoughts going forward? Do you see the demand staying consistent for Airbnb? I know there was a little bit of a time back, you know, last year where they actually outlawed the use of Airbnb. Uh, what do you see happening? Back then, when they when they outlawed Airbnb, it was actually just for short term rentals. So, okay. um, for example, if someone was staying for a vacation, so over a weekend or something like that, that was something that we weren't able to do. So, for us, for example, we had to pivot to doing more long term stays. So, weekly. Um, more than two weeks, we mm-hmm. did monthly stays, and we kind of pivoted our strategy that way. And that's usually how like the booking behavior changes too, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people nowadays, they don't really book for um, leisure travel. It's more for necessity, especially with lockdowns and the stay mm-hmm. at home order. It's like people won't book for two or three nights at a time. Instead, they'll start booking for like two weeks or like a month, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, we find that um, as long as you can kind of pivot your pricing strategies to accommodate uh, those kind of guests, you will have a lot of people booking for those purposes. Yeah, like ever since, and it's funny enough that once COVID hit, we actually ended up doing a lot better and we were able to grow our business even even further once um, everything with lockdown and everything was going on. Um, and what we noticed was when a lockdown initially started, we were getting people who were stuck in Canada and needed a place to stay. So, you know, they may have been staying at a hotel or a short-term accommodation previously um, and then realized that, okay, we can't, we can't go back home. So we're kind of stuck here and we needed to find a place to stay until we can go back home. So that was the kind of guest that we were hosting in the beginning. So has your vacancy rate gone down from 2019? Are you lower vacancy now? Yes. Yes, we are. Wow. That's very interesting, but longer stays on average. Longer right. stays, yes. Right. Okay, so your what's your average stay now? Like a month or a couple of weeks? Uh, two weeks. It really depends. I would say it varies from like week weekly stays to like monthly mm-hmm. stays. Um, mm-hmm. We have people who have booked our place until like the end of July, so like three four months stay. Um, 
So it really depends, but mm -hmm. we have been seeing a lot more people trying to travel for uh, a longer period of time. Okay. So just people that are, especially when they're factoring in the two week quarantine, they're probably not going to come for a short visit to Canada if they are coming to Canada. Although I don't know how many people are visiting Canada right We've now. We've been hosting tons of quarantine as well. Yeah. So just pay for their quarantine. Yeah. Just, just so that they don't have to go home if, if they're coming back to Canada, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what are you typically charging for something like that? Like, first off, is this all Toronto or are you outside oh. of the city as well? So we do in Toronto, but we're kind of phasing out of Toronto now. Um, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, London, Windsor, and now Bayfield, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Bayfield. Wow. Okay. You're spreading yourself around. That's where the motel is. That's where the motel. Okay. The one you bought. Okay. And, uh, you see these numbers working in all these cities across the board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So across the seven cities that we're in, uh, we're averaging around 93% occupancy. 93%. So just listed on regular Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. And I would say for us, I mean, like Toronto was probably the biggest hit because um, we don't actually have just self-contained units in Toronto um, because based on their regulations and they're just way too strict with their regulations, mm -hmm. we decided um, for our Airbnbs in Toronto, they're just by rooms um, in order for us to kind of get a, get through that, those regulations. Oh. Right, because it doesn't so, it doesn't send off the alarm bells like you're you're over renting your place under their rules. Yeah, that as okay. well. And because in Toronto, it's you can't rent you can't have your place on Airbnb or do short term rentals for um, six months out of the year. More so than that's six really months, yeah, yeah, that's really restricted. Yeah. But if you do it by room, for example, three rooms um, in a home, then you're able to do that all year round and gotcha. optimize you for it. So the biggest hit for us was in Toronto because obviously right. when you're doing an shared house, you can't be hosting quarantine stays. Um, but mm. other than that, I mean, in all of our other cities, we've been doing great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to hear. How the heck do you manage all those different cities? You've got cleaning crews, you've got what people to help you out. Um, are you driving around all the time? Like what's happening? What's your daily life like? So in the beginning, when we had just those two room rentals on Airbnb, um, we were doing everything ourselves. So furnishing, cleaning, um, guest turnover, everything yeah. was done by us. And then we realized that, you know, this is not a way to scale, right? So we started to kind of break down all the steps and processes uh, that it takes to, number one, set up an Airbnb, uh, have the guest turnover, all the cleanings, um, all, all the restocking, all, yeah, all the operational stuff. We broke it down to steps and processes into a system that anybody can kind of replicate. So once we figured that out, it was just kind of plug and play, finding the right people to manage uh, the housekeeping, the cleaning, the furnishing, all that stuff. Yeah, right. So that's always the toughest part is just finding the right people to to join your team. And um, sometimes it's kind of trial and error always, you know, when it comes to hiring people. But um, for us, I mean, it's been it's been quite the journey and we've we've found a lot of success in hiring people and a lot of people are interested in being part of an Airbnb and seeing the process and everything. So it's been interesting for sure. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like it's interesting. So, so no longer needing to drive everywhere. So you, you don't drive to London when something happens. No, no, never. Um, you have somebody on the ground there that's responsible for everything. Yeah. We have onsite managers for every city. Mm -hmm. So in case anything happens that, yeah. you know, requires us to be there we have someone else go out for us okay. yeah. so and even with all the setup as well like we just send them like i still do all the designs so i'll order everything um and then you know give them a floor plan of how i want everything to look and then 
it's pretty much up to them yeah. to get to make it happen. Do you get like somebody to go in and do a black lines floor plan and send it to you so that you can spec out where you want things? Yes. Yeah. So, so you've got Unless somebody that, the like, already has one. Okay. Yeah. So you got to go like Matterport or get somebody to go in and do that virtual tour thing. thing. Okay. That's uh, that's smart. I love systems, man. I'm going to keep asking <laughs> you questions. That's the only way <laughs> you got to work on your business, not in your business, right? Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I do. I do everything at a distance. So. Well, that's uh, why you're in Florida. Yeah, I've been in Florida for almost three months, and my construction company's still going back home. So. Um, wow. Yeah, it it works. But yeah, so so in London, how many how how many uh, houses do you have there? Uh, three units right yeah. so far three. and we just got in there so yeah we we just got okay. in there about last month okay in march so, yeah. in march yeah and when you went in there did you start with uh, like a man or woman that was willing to kind of run the show for you down there is that where it started yes okay. so and we, we, as soon as we we're like hey we're going to be setting up uh, units in london we decided to reach out to some people who are interested in being kind of like our assistant our boots mm-hmm. on the ground kind of guy and then they kind of oversaw the entire process of furnishing. And how do you structure that relationship? Do they get a piece of the profit? Do they do they uh, just get an hourly rate? Like, wh- what's that look like? Hourly rate. Yeah. Just an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, how easy is it to find something like that? Are these like investor-minded people that are following you? Or are these uh, just, you Some know, indeed them. hires? Um, Some of them. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, it is like investor-minded people or like younger people who kind of want to get their feet wet in the real estate space and are just willing to kind of like hustle right so mm-hmm. yeah they'll reach kinda, out through instagram or something or, yeah. we'll, or, or he'll post something saying you know you know we're looking for um a boots in the boots on the ground kind of person in london and then someone will message him and um you know we'll kind of choose from there um okay. other than that we usually just post something on pgg um outlining the scope of work and what kind of what the job really um pertains and then we'll have mm-hmm. people contact us and we'll go from there that's very intriguing. I, I find hiring like to be quite the challenge, but I mean, maybe I'm overcomplicating it. <laughs> like it sounds like it's working out really well. So how would you know if something, something wasn't working out with these people you hire, you say, Hey, I want this, you know, we've leased this house. I want you to go set it up. Here's what I want you to do. How would you know if they're, if they're uh, not working out? Um, so number one, we always set up cameras first in each unit. Well, not in each unit, but like outside the units. So we always know, you know, if the work is being done, um, but typically, like the people we hire, we, we hire them based on their character more than like anything else. So as long as we can see that they're really hungry to learn and that they're willing to work hard, um, mm-hmm. it's usually a good fit. We haven't had too many issues with our boots on the ground people, um, but we did have one guy who we had to fire, but um, that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's not always smooth sailing. You're always going to, it's, it's these kind of things that, um, kind of, it's like a lesson for you as well. And how sometimes you have to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. Um, especially when you're entering a new city and you're just hiring somebody new, you just, you can't just give them all the trust at once. So that was a huge lesson for us. Um, and then we've pivoted since then, but, um, yeah, for sure. You just need to, you need to get the cameras up there first. Uh, you need to, you know, judge their character and have them send progress photos every single day. Who sets up your cameras? Do you have somebody do that as well? Or you already had somebody that was kind of helping you? We have them do it. Okay. So yeah, set up the camera, get the internet set up, like go wait yeah. there until until the four hour window where Bell's going to show up and hook up the internet for us. Yeah. Yeah. Usually <laughs> nothing starts until we get the cameras up yeah. so that we can, we can, we know cameras what's going and on. the door locks. Yeah. yeah. Door locks. And what, what do you pay somebody like that? Like 20 bucks an hour? Yeah. 
pretty yeah cool. okay so so you've got your help on the ground they'll do all that stuff get the door locks on um how do you find real uh landlords that that are on board with this so in the beginning it was a real <laughs> struggle kind of like where's cold calling people on kajiji saying mm-hmm. hey like you're interested in renting out your place uh, mm-hmm. for the purpose of me doing airbnb and it wasn't a very good approach um so we kind of pivoted since then obviously a lot um, of rejection a lot of rejection mm-hmm. and we had to go through like 100 calls to get like one yes but yeah. now it's like we reach out to investors who are more like numbers focused mm-hmm. and we focus on like providing as much value that we can to them as an investor so yeah. um you know what are the common pain points that a landlord has when they're investing in real estate you know number one vacancy uh tenant problems uh, maintenance repairs, uh, mm-hmm. property management. Like these are all things that every investor kind of faces mm-hmm. and you can always put a number, like an expense figure to those problems, right? So if you as an Airbnb arbitrage expert say that, hey, listen, by renting to me, um, I will figure out your vacancy, right? Like you're not going to have any vacancy uh, in your units. You won't have to pay a property manager 10% because I'll be managing it myself. Um, the repairs and maintenance, um, it'll be quite minimal because typically people allocate like five, 10%, but um, that's with a long-term tenant. So if a long-term tenant were to punch a hole in the wall, then that's typically a cost that the landlord eats, right? Like you're not going to have much recourse to go after the long-term tenant. Whereas if it's like a short-term tenant or I mean short-term guest who's staying in that unit and they punch a hole in the wall, you can always charge them back for it or get the money back from Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we can provide as Airbnb hosts that, you know, traditional tenants cannot offer. So by putting a dollar figure on paper and saying, hey, listen, by renting to us, we'll help you save X amount, you know, on an annualized basis on your operating costs. Then it just becomes more of kind of like a numbers game for them. And uh, if they see that the value that we're providing matches with what they want, then it's a no-brainer. Let's go through the numbers a little bit on what that would look like. Like a three, are you are you going after like a bungalow in London? I'll use London as an example because I'm I'm familiar with what the rental rates there are okay. right now. Uh, so is it like a like a three bed two bath type of bungalow that you would rent, or would you go for something bigger, smaller? Like what are you after? We like doing duplexes at the very bin at the very at the very minimum. Yeah, yeah. the very minimum. So an up down duplex. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, side by side or, you know, just something with more units is it's easier for us, more scalable, and we can implement our systems right away. And um, without, you know, oh, we're only doing one property, you know, would you be willing to work for us? Um, It's a lot easier when you have, when you start off with three or four or five units, um, it's right off the bat. And would you be, uh, would you be looking for something that's newly renovated or something that's just average quality? Like what, what are you looking for? Always generally, newly renovated. Yeah, generally yeah. newly renovated. I mean, we have done properties that are not, you know, as nice as some other ones are, um, which is fine. But generally, we like to go a little mm-hmm. bit more high end. It's you, you just have better. Um, okay. Best experience. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not coming in and painting the place so that it looks the way you want it. You want it to already look good, and then you just <laughs> kind of accent it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So if you were getting a duplex, uh, like an up, down the upper unit, I don't know what that would get in London right now, maybe like 1700, something like that. Um, and then the lower, the lower might get 1400 or or maybe 1800 on the top. I don't know. So you might be somewhere in the ballpark of 3000 or 3200 a month, uh, on a, on a monthly rental as a landlord. So what would you guys, what would your pitch to me be if you wanted me to rent one of my duplexes to you? All right. So right off the bat, 
you're not going to have vacancy. So as okay. long as you're renting to me, like I'll pay you your rents, no drama, no BS. Uh, I'm not going to say like, Hey, you know, because of COVID, I can't pay your rent. Right. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, property management. So you would have to pay a property manager typically around 10%. Um, I know a lot of people kind of underestimate the property management costs, but um, you know, the real property management expenses that come with offloading that actually ends up being higher than 10%, but we'll just use 10% as like a baseline. So gotcha. um, I'll save you $320 per month on your mm-hmm. property management expenses. Um, let's see what else repairs and maintenance 5%, any damage that my guests cause in your unit, I will cover. Um, but I cannot pay for general wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. let's just say 5% right there. Yeah. Right. Um, that's an additional $160 per month. That mm-hmm. I'm um, what else? You'll get a professionally staged um, staged house and we'll provide you with the photos. So if you ever want to sell your property in the near future, okay. um, you'll have that. And if you ever want to, you know, start doing viewings and things like that, you know that your property mm-hmm. is going to be going to look to the nines. Totally um, good, yeah. You know, the property will be cleaned multiple times a month. And because your home is our business, you know that we're going to be taking yeah. really good care of it. Um, and if you know anything about our reputation or anything that we post on Instagram, then yeah, it's, yeah. So you'll want to take it. Yeah, that's the obvious. I mean, I think, yeah, just really simply, we're going to treat your house better than a tenant would. Like your house oh, will be treated oh, better than a normal tenant 100%. would. Yeah. Um, that's probably a good place to start. So as far as rental rate goes, are you just paying market rent? Uh, we try to negotiate market rents, um, but we try to get at least one month free. And one that, month free. That's, yeah, okay. that just sets up us like enough time to get all the furnishings and everything in place. Okay. So let's say you're you're into thirty two hundred a month then for a, for an up down duplex. Is that somewhere ballpark that you would be into, or not quite that much? Yeah, that's around there. Okay. So so you're paying thirty two hundred a month. What can you turn that into? So in London, um, we just got in there, so I I can't really give like accurate numbers, but on average. Per unit, I think we do about uh, three thousand per month on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So that spread is where we make our. Okay. Rents. Okay, so even though even with a basement, you're still averaging three thousand a month. Well, with a basement, it really depends. Depends um, on how many bedrooms um, the unit mm-hmm. has, too, right? So if it's a three bedroom, you know, generally we make about three thousand dollars per unit. Um, if it's a two bedroom unit, it'd be like twenty five hundred. Yeah, twenty five, twenty eight. Um, okay. You no, know, and so it it really depends on how many bedrooms there are and how many people you can accommodate there. Okay, so if you had a three up, uh, and then you had the two bedrooms down in a separate unit, then you're you're more like just maybe just under six thousand. Yeah, 5, maybe like hundred. Okay, fifty five hundred on average. Yeah. Okay, and then in terms of your you have your buying list, I'm sure where you buy your furniture from um, to to furnish. So if it's a a three bedroom up, two bedroom down, what's your bill to furnish that? So generally, for furnishing, just for furnishing, we're looking at about five thousand dollars per unit. Where do you buy it to get for five thousand? Like two couches, like coffee tables, TVs. Um, we use a lot of like Amazon, Wayfair, IKEA. Okay, um, those are pretty much the three trios that I that we usually yeah. order from. Um, and you can get a good couch from like well, Wayfair. I don't know yeah. IKEA. I guess. Yeah. Well, I feel like the IKEA you know, ones are really I uncomfortable. IKEA because they're too expensive, um, but for couches, I usually always go for Wayfair or Amazon, and they yeah. always usually cost me less than 500 bucks. 
Really? Okay. See, I've never looked for a couch on Amazon, but I'm going to now. He also calls them and says like, Hey, like, you know, I, I've been furnishing a lot of places with you guys. Like, can you offer me a better rate? And typically they'll give you a better rate. Yeah. Right? So especially with Wayfair, if you have a business account with them or prof- Wayfair professional account, um, once you put everything in your cart, you could call them and ask for the best quote that they can give you. And usually they'll give you a nice discount on top of, um, on top of whatever's offered already. So yeah, you guys are just full of the gold nuggets today. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I mean, even for my student stuff, just replacing furnishing because it, it it gets worn out. Eventually, you got to replace it. And I, I originally used JISK or however you pronounce that, J Y S K, and uh, their quality was just bad. Tried IKEA stuff. If like I just went into the store and sat on it, didn't feel nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, long and short, I've, I've ended up spending too much on like nicer couches that even they, you know, break down and have to be replaced too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to just get them cheap and then you can just replace them as you need. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, with Ikea, it's, you get the standard, everyone knows what Ikea couches look like and stuff. But when you go on Wafer or Amazon, you can find more unique pieces, mm-hmm. um, with nice colors that really play well in your photographs and, um, mm-hmm. people really like that. So, and we also always go for couches that usually are able to transform into a bed as well so that you can accommodate more people yeah. at another sleeping area. So if you're, if you're in a three bed unit, you're trying to sleep eight, are you? Three bed unit, usually seven or seven, eight, seven, yeah, eight. seven or eight. Yeah, Cause some it. of these bungalows, the bedroom's too small for a queen. Like it'd be hard to, to sleep two in some of the smaller bedrooms. Right. Unless you do a bunk bed. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you do that ever? We, we never do bunk, do bunk beds. <laughs> no, no bunk beds. Too I, yeah, dangerous. we never do bunk beds. And the reason for that is because you just attract a certain type of clientele with bunk beds. Well, for okay. cottages, you could do bunk beds, but yeah. I think mm-hmm. for like things in the city, it's just better not to. Yeah. Yeah, I could see a reason not to. Um, just circling back, like who would be the primary clientele that would be coming into a product like this? Like one of these duplexes right now? All shapes and sizes. Like yeah. we have people like, for example, nurses who are um, there for work or contractors. We have people visiting family, um, mm-hmm. people who are in between houses, needing mm-hmm. to stay for like a, a week or even like a month. Um, yeah. We've had people who had like a basement flooded and in between rentals, they, yeah. they just need yeah. a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it could, could be a little of anything. And uh, you're still averaging the two-week stay even in London so far? Me too. So we price it so that we're not getting you know, those people who are there to party. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not, not saying that we haven't had those issues before, but um, generally that's, that's the kind of people that we go for. Okay. And how long do you foresee, like if you're investing the 5,000, I'm guessing there maybe be $1,000 more for pots and pans and miscellaneous others, or does 5,000 really encapsulate it? $5,000 really enca- encapsulates all the like Beds, mattresses, couches, yeah. pots, pans, forks, okay. all, all of that. And any other operational costs, like you have you know, ongoing cleaning and, mm-hmm. and then you'll have miscellaneous maintenance. Mm-hmm. So what are your operating costs? So for cleaning costs, um, we charge a premium to our guests. So if our cleaning costs us $100, we'll mm-hmm. charge our guests back, like, let's say 150 And that would also encompass the cost of consumables for, um, for us as well. Okay. So like toilet paper, paper towels, and stuff. Garbage, weekly garbage removal. Garbage removal. Um, so having having that sort of what do you call it? That margin. Yeah, that extra margin really helps us with um, covering all the other little expenses. Like if if there's a little okay. repair that we have to do every now and then, or yeah, the, like we said, the weekly garbage removals. Um, so 
But yeah. even so, the repairs, like we can usually charge that back to the guests. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So like your boots on the ground, that that person, are they usually pretty handy? Like whoever you're hiring, like they'll, yes. will they fix the stuff themselves? Yeah. Yes. So you that ask, you know, part. should, should be somewhat a, handy, can fix, make small repairs around the house. Yeah. That's, that's a requirement with the job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's yeah. G- good idea. Okay. So, so really you have no other operating expenses that aren't covered in that cleaning fee, which is just in addition to what you charge. Yeah. Not much. I mean, just internet. Um, yeah. Internet utilities. If, if they're not included in like the rent lawn and snow care. Yeah. Lawn and okay. Snow so operate, so lawn and snow, you're going to be like 1200 a year. Worst case, I think mm-hmm. around there. Um, yeah. and then you're going to have internet, which is going to be probably another 1200 a year. Yep. On average. And, and then, um, utilities, Ooh, your standard duplex, are you guys paying the utilities? Uh, it depends. Depends on what we can negotiate. Um, a lot of times we can get it all inclusive. Sometimes it'll just be like plus hydro. Um, we don't like to have too many bills just because it complicates the process. Um, so yeah. we would rather negotiate like an all inclusive rent rather than trying to do like mm-hmm. plus utilities. Mm-hmm. Well, too many bills is a major problem if you're manually going in and paying them. <laughs> but I just set all that like uh, London Hydro and gas. It's just automatic withdrawal. So I don't even look at them, which could be good, could be bad. I mean, I'm not going to change it though. If they think I owe it, I mean, how am I going to get out of that anyway? So yeah. uh, I've argued with them about water before. They didn't care. <laughs> no. One year I had 400, 400 cubic meters of water uh, used in one month, just randomly in the middle of the summer. I'm pretty sure somebody filled up a pool using my my uh, house's water. I'm like, your water meter's broken. They're like, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. Yeah, it happens. So Eddie, let's just assume that you did pay utilities on on this example. So would say that's 4,000 a year. So then your monthly operating expenses would be, um, well, your annual would be about 6,400 divided by 12. So you'd be about 530 a month. So you're collecting um, 5,500 less the 3,200 rent, less the 530. Um, so you're, you're getting about 1760 uh, profit on one unit or one house. Does that sound about right? Yeah. On an average. Okay. So that's really good. Cause how many of those do you really need before you're saying, okay, well, we don't need to work. Like we can right. just do this. Yeah. Um, do you think this works relatively like anywhere, like most places? Everywhere we that we've think done. so. Any, everywhere we've done, it typically works out. Um, mm-hmm. Like I really like Airbnbs in the cities um, just because I feel like the, the demand is relatively stable, like cottages and vacation rentals. Like it may fluctuate depending on the season uh, lockdowns and whatever, like reasons that, you know, um, the government may give, give us. Right. But right. Uh, for the units in the city, I find that it's very stable and we can kind of break it down to like almost like a science, right? So yeah. um, it's just a numbers game for us at the end. Yeah, there's always okay. demand for it in the city. I mean, people are always looking for furnished accommodations around the city. So it's it's been nice for us. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's it's super interesting to me. Like the first time I heard this concept, I really liked it. But then when the whole lockdown thing happened, it really made me rethink Airbnb. <laughs> um, obviously, some things have changed. Uh, I know cottage country has gone crazy for Airbnb because less people yeah. are traveling outside the country. They're just going stir crazy. So they want to go to the cottage, right. uh, which is really good for people who have, you know, stuff near beaches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a couple of things that I was going to go over here. So uh, 
Yeah. What's the secret with your Airbnb growth? How are, how are you uh, making this continue? I think we pretty much touched upon that. Um, yeah. Just really trying to add, add as much value as possible to landlords mm-hmm. um, and just being creative with how you pitch your strategy, right? Because um, especially because we're working with a lot of investors, real estate investors who are mm-hmm. focused on growing their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to be focused and like, I mean, stressing about each and every single property they purchase. They just want it to be more of a hands-off experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what we offer, kind of like hassle-free landlording, right? So, so to new landlords, uh, I can see a ton of value to that mm-hmm. because, I mean, it took me a long time to learn how to manage my properties and efficiently and in a cost-effective way. If somebody's new and they're busy and they work, I think you guys would probably be a pretty good solution to a lot of people, What you know, what you're proposing here. Yeah, um, hands-off is nice. Yeah. And even with investors who have been investing for quite some time and they see what we're doing, we've had them reach out to us and ask if we're interested in taking over some of their, mm-hmm. some of their units, um, you know, because they're sick and tired of dealing with tenants and yeah. nobody wants to deal with those kind of things anymore. So um, if they see the value that we can offer and because they know that we're, we're looking to scale as well, we can scale with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more units that they acquire, the more units that we can also rent from them. And they, it's, it kind of becomes a more systemized process for them as well. They don't have to worry about like tenant placement costs, mm-hmm. you know, commissions. It's like a long-term, like it can become like a long-term relationship where we both kind of grow together. And right. um, so we both provide value to each other and it's great. Do you tell them to get proper insurance that, that calls out Airbnb and says it's okay usually so that they don't have any issues? Usually, well, for them, I mean, the property is still, um, technically rented to a long-term tenant. So mm-hmm. they don't really concern themselves with it too much. And it's really it's, up to them. Yeah. It's, okay. and then it, for Airbnb, I mean, it's more of our responsibility of getting the, getting the right insurance and Airbnb also does provide a pretty nice insurance, um, for hosts as well. So we haven't, we haven't really yeah. run too much. So no real issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super interesting. Um, I know we're kind of circling back here, but what's your background? Like what did, what did you guys both do before you were doing this? Oh, so we are both university dropouts. Yeah. Um, I was actually a barista right after uh, right after dropping out of university. I used to make a lot of coffee. Um, and then after making coffee for a couple of years, I became a server at a restaurant. Yeah, we both became servers and we were doing that for a few years. Um, and while we were doing that, we were, I think at the time we were doing like two or three jobs at the same time. And so we were doing all of that. And then we decided... You know, we had funds that we had saved up because we were working all the time, seven days a week, no weekends, no break, mm-hmm. no Christmas, no holidays. Um, like no opportunities to spend yeah, money, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. for once we saved up enough money, we that's when we kind of started looking to the arbitrage route and found this house. And then, um, you know, we were able to really... Man, like, that just like supercharged our savings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you ever lose on, on a property? Like you think it's going to be a winner. You, you sign the lease for a year, I'm guessing, and then realize it's not a winner and you're losing money on it. Does that ever happen to you? Never. Yeah. Just never. So, if, well, if, knock on wood, <laughs> but uh, it hasn't happened to us so far. I mean, if you yeah. sign a lease at market rents, worst case, you can drop down your monthly price to like $200 above um, the market rent. And then it'll always stay booked year round. So like yeah. worst case, like you'll take a small profit, mm-hmm. but it'll get booked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So you're just saying to just keep getting booked, but you will have those operating expenses. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, worst case, you can always sublet to someone else. Right. So 
Yeah. Not that big of a deal. So there's a lot of ways you can pivot. Um, is, is there anything that you would suggest to people to do market validation on their, on their specific market? If they wanted to say, Hey, does my city work for this? Can I do this in my city? Um, number one, I would say, look at the population. As long as you have a city with a decent population, like uh, Windsor, London, Kitchener, Waterloo, it's going to work. Um, and if you're looking at specific locations in that city, I would try to look for clusters of hotels. So if you see a lot of um, big name hotels in like one spot, then that's usually a good indicator that they, those guys have done enough research to know that there's enough demand for short-term rentals to justify sinking in millions and millions of dollars setting up mm-hmm. those hotels. Mm-hmm. So then you kind, of, you kind of piggyback off that research and say, hey, listen, if there's hotels here, I can set up an Airbnb and do reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the very first thing before you even look at the population is to go in and do your due diligence to see what kind of regulations are in place for Airbnb and short-term rentals. And just hop on Airbnb as a, as a traveler, right? And try to look at, you know, what other listings are there and how booked are they, right? Like what yeah. do the sleeper hosts offer? What do the photos look like? What mm-hmm. kind of furnishing do they have? Right? What can you do differently yeah. that maybe, you know, would, right. would attract people to you? How much do you rely on like an air DNA software? Not so much, honestly. I honestly have never used air DNA until no. recently when I was just looking at like a, my motel. Yeah. Um, I just kind of wanted to get a better idea of what short-term rentals were charging in that specific region um, because I've never done a vacation rental. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like why I chose mm-hmm. to do air DNA. But what I found with air DNA is it's, it's a very like gen- generic kind of like, um, like a number crunching, I guess, mm-hmm. software. So you can kind of get a rough idea as like what you can charge and what you can generate, but it's not like the best, um, I guess, tool to use to as an accurate representation of what you can actually make on Airbnb. Yeah. Well, I, it, it can be off. That's for sure. I've looked at it, used it for some markets down here and tried to gauge and you'll see an outlier property that's making so much money and and then compare it to one that's not making much. And there's no real explanation for why is this one doing so much better than this one? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of questions that it creates, I would say, uh, when yeah. using it. Um, okay. Definitely interesting talking to you guys. I don't want to uh, take up all your time here, but if people wanted to reach out to you or follow your journey, where should we send them? Our Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your Instagram. I think you yeah. shared that that uh, link with me, so I can put it in the uh, in the show notes so people can find you there. And are you posting pictures of your properties, the ones that you're renting out, and things like that? Ariana is. Um, <laughs> I'm more of like a mindset kind of guy, so okay, uh, you're not going to see much Airbnb. Well, he we'll we'll post a lot in our stories. Like he Aaron posts a lot of stuff on his stories, um, and we do do some posts of like our properties and how they're staged, and you know, some mm. breaking down some of the numbers and things like that. So um, definitely yeah. interested in. And learning more okay is the place to go awesome and and so this is your full-time gig both of you, the two of you are doing this full-time now yes, yes. we we quit serving a long time ago <laughs> a long time ago it's only been like what well it feels like a long time ago but um a little bit over a year now yeah i mean after after that initial house and we we were bringing in five thousand dollars a month from that we it was shortly after that where we where we decided okay we can't be um let's go into this full-time and uh yeah yeah. You had a light bulb moment that, Hey, yeah. this is, uh, this is too good to not do more of. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have uh, do you have any big stressors that like things that keep you up at night doing all this? Not really. I mean, I try not to involve myself in the operations just because I feel that 
the more I'm kind of entrenched in the day to day, the more stressed I get. So I try to not really think too much about what's going on. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, who does your, your person on the ground, whoever's yeah, on the ground in those things yeah. or me. <laughs> or <her. laughs> um, no, but it's nothing really that keeps us up. I mean, it's always just about how we can grow bigger and how we can really start scaling. And for us, we started want we kind of want to take this global as well. So we want to take it yeah. down to the States and, you know, it would be really cool to have properties like in Europe and all of yeah. that. So um, that's definitely something we're looking into. And that's, I, w- I would say that's what keeps me up at night. Yeah. Where to go next? Where to, yeah, go, yeah. Next. Where to go next? So you'd be good to do this in the States. Do you have any, any specific markets you're thinking about? Uh, we're actually looking to go down to Florida this June to uh, scope out some markets. Um, okay. Yeah. Whereabouts? Honestly, I, I don't know. Like we're I've not never too, been we're to not the really states, familiar. Actually. Like yeah, yeah. So, so I'm looking to drive down and just look at a whole bunch of different cities and see yeah. like what would make sense. But I think we can replicate this pretty much anywhere as long as um, the the state and the city laws allow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing with Florida is it's kind of the inverse of home uh, in terms of the months that are good. Like the summer is not ideal for Airbnb down here because it's all vacation driven, right? No one really wants to be in Florida in the summer. So I mean, the best months are like March and February, and then you've got November and December as being like kind of like secondary. And then July, I think is pretty good. And other than that, it's kind of like the rest is kind of like shoulder season. It's, it's odd. I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around it, but yeah, I've been kind of, this has been on my radar too, which is why I'm prying with so many questions, but uh, hopefully all the viewers and listeners will appreciate, um, you know, how, how to structure that. Cause what you're describing is more of a city approach to more of a plain, I, I'm not calling Ontario cities plain Jane, but some of them, you know, like they're, they're so diverse uh, in terms of industry. It's not like no one's going there for vacation. You're right. just getting people that are doing miscellaneous, this and that, that are, that are renting out your properties. Mm-hmm. which yeah. is great that's predictable mm-hmm. is vacation the same in your mind no no it would be different for sure no but you're still open to it you're open to, to going the va- vacation route yeah because when it's hot it's really hot and oh it, yeah it can look absolutely insane and then on the off seasons like it's going to dry up so much like you've mm-hmm. got to prepare for the upswings and the downswings mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen some just looking at properties that are for sale down here. I've seen landlords that will actually they'll they'll Airbnb for say nine months out of the year, and then they'll have full month tenants for the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to have a strategy with it. Yeah, with Airbnb, I mean, we could go you know short term rentals for the hot season, and just and pivot, the strategy, pivot to right? pivot the strategy and start like doing more booking. like monthly bookings when mm-hmm. it's so hot. But you would still do all of that through Airbnb or VRBO. Yeah, yes. like even the monthlies, you just set it to longer terms. We just don't yeah. like mm. depending. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I mean, but depending on the the landlord tenant laws, I think that really depends because um, we don't want to get someone in for a month who's like, "Well, I've been here for a month, so um, I automatically fall under the landlord tenant mm. law." It might be really difficult to get them out at that point. That just happened to my mother-in-law. Somebody, oh, yeah. somebody rented out one of her Airbnbs uh, for a month. She was doing kind of monthly during the lockdown and uh, said, okay, well, like, I need you to go now. I'm going to actually sell this place. And he's like, no, I'm a long-term tenant. I'm not leaving. Wow. Jeez. And he also stopped paying rent. Well, <laughs> Insult to injury. Oh, man. Um, but would, would she not be able to go to, um, like, from like a legal perspective and say, hey, listen, like, because you're impeding on my Airbnb business, like you can stay and I'll go through the LTB um, mm-hmm. process, but 
I'm going to sue you for all the law revenue kind of thing. Yeah, not legal advice to anybody, but I personally would file a claim against that guy. Exactly. I, I would immediately file a claim um, for for damages and and you know basically whatever I could do, right? I haven't seen the contract, but regardless of LTB, you know that's a that's a separate uh, a separate consideration. But yeah, definitely f- fight for damages right away. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's a hot market and you want to sell now. Sure, the LTB might protect them, but it doesn't mean that you can't like if if the market changes down the road and she's out, that that guy should have to pay for oh, the difference, the damages, right? Yeah, so, hopefully that scares them off enough to just leave, right? Yeah, I feel like so much of this is posture. Like there's so many ways to just talk things out with people and reason with yeah. them. Look, I understand where you're coming from here, but here's how I will have to react. And then when I do that, it's not going to be good for either of us. So why don't we just settle this now? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's a way. There is always a way. So hopefully it works out for her. I haven't uh, haven't really dove into the details, but I, you know, I hate to hear stories like that, right? <laughs> that yeah. sucks. Anyways, okay. Well, it was really nice talking to you both and, and getting to meet uh, finally. And um, I'll uh, I'll definitely look forward to hearing updates as as to what you do next. And I will probably have many more questions to ask you. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>